Would it not be better for us to just go back? So the Israelites began to complain in the wilderness. Would it not be better, they asked themselves, for us to just go back? They'd been hoping for this new reality for generations. They'd been praying for and dreaming about this very thing for years and years, freedom from Egypt, and yet now, amid the anxiety and the rootlessness and the uncertainty of their new circumstance, now they begin to wonder aloud if it wouldn't be better for them simply to return to that which they'd known before. Would it not be better? They begin to ask themselves. For us just to go back. Well, that question echoes down across the centuries, does it not? Some 3,500 years later, when faced with change and disruption in our own lives, when losing hold of things and people and ways of being that for good or ill have grounded us and have helped us to feel stable and secure, we too often wonder in effect, would it not be better for us to just go back? Yes, change by its very nature is always disruptive. And therefore, it is profoundly disorienting. And this is what the Israelites are experiencing in this passage from the book of Numbers. Disruption. An attendant disorientation. Would it not be better, they ask, for us just to go back. Yes, the question echoes down across the centuries. Today marks the first sermon in a four-week sermon series on disruption and disorientation, on change and the complications change inevitably brings. And we take up such a topic because change and disruption, perhaps more than anything else, mark the lives we live and the world we live in today. For we live and have lived for some time now in a period of profound change. And thus we live in a period that brings with it a near constant sense of disorientation. And please understand, no matter how we as individuals feel about any number of changes taking place around us, all of us feel disoriented by them. All of us feel the daily pressure of disruption. And therefore, all of us feel at least slightly off balance much of the time at least somewhat unmoored, often unsure exactly how we feel about things taking place around us, and all the while feeling pressured to feign certainty about everything, 
No one likes to feel this way. And unsurprisingly, feeling this way, therefore, doesn't exactly lead, in most instances, to the fruits of the Spirit. Instead, it more often leads to anger and bitterness and rancor and division. You know, much ink has been spilled of late about how people are angrier than ever before and more divided than ever before and more cynical and ever despairing than we've ever been before. In fact, I myself have spoken such words from this pulpit many times. And I have because these things are demonstrably true. But one of the things that is often missing from these reflections, and one of the things that this sermon series will therefore attempt to bring to the fore for us, is the role that felt change plays so often in making people angrier and more anxious and more hostile and more despairing. In other words, it's not enough for people like me to simply point out these ugly realities in the world and inside of ourselves. Instead, we must also point out the near-constant experience of change and disorientation that so often gives rise to these things. I want you to consider this. <coughs> When the printing press was invented in the mid-15th century, it changed everything. The printing press was responsible quite literally for changing the shape and makeup of the entire globe. And as with all change, different people felt differently about the disruptions being brought about. Some heralded these things as an untrammeled good, while others decried them as the works of Satan himself. Seriously, go read the history books. But as massive of a disruption as this technology the printing press brought about, it took well over a century for it to truly permeate culture. That is, for it to truly affect everyone and everything and their daily lives. Thus, there were over 100 years for human beings to adapt to this new technology. And thus to talk about it. And to discuss it. And to decide how they felt about it. And perhaps even change their minds on it. And then later to maybe even change their minds again. More than 100 years. Well, fast forward from there a few hundred years to the Industrial Revolution. And consider the massive changes that this brought about. And as a quick reminder, the Industrial Revolution quite literally changed the way that markets function and that human beings relate to one another. Again, some heralded these changes as good things. Some decried them as altogether malevolent. 
But here again, as massive of a disruption as this was, it took generations, in this case some 70 plus years, for it to truly permeate culture. That is, for it to truly affect everyone and everything. Okay, we'll fast forward now to the railroad. And then to the airplane. And then to the radio. And then to the television. And on and on and on. And with each of these new technologies, consider how much more quickly the technology proliferated. That is, consider how much more quickly its effects were felt all across the globe, reaching into every sphere of human existence, affecting everything and everyone. Do you note how constantly it's speeding up? Do you note how constantly the rate of acceleration is speeding up? Do you note how the experience of disruption in society therefore is constantly speeding up? And do you note how human beings are simultaneously being allowed less and less time to adjust to and to adapt to these changes and disruptions? No matter how they happen to feel about them. Here's a cold, hard fact to bring this all into stark focus. It took 38 years for the radio to reach 50 million homes, changing everything and everyone by the time that it did. It took 13 years for the television to reach 50 million homes, changing everything and everyone by the time that it did. Well, for the internet, dear family, it took barely four and to say that the internet has changed everything and everyone, well, now that would be a significant understatement, would it not? I could, of course, go on here, could get into the proliferation of cell phones and social media, but we all get the point. That point being this. All of these new technologies necessarily usher in massive changes and therefore create seismic experiences of disruption. And with each new disruption, there is increasingly less time for us as human beings to adapt to our sense of disorientation. Because you see, it's not just technology that increases at an ever-increasing rate like this. No, along with technology, it's the pace of life and it's the social norms and mores that govern our ways of living and being. For these three things are interconnected, always mutually reinforcing one another. Thus, when one of them changes, the others necessarily do too. They're interconnected. And then these, in turn, necessarily affect our economic markets and our global environment and our popular culture and so much more besides. And so to tie this all together and to underscore the key takeaway for us here, it used to be that we as human beings 
had literally generations to adapt to a major change before another one surfaced. That is to process it and to discuss it and to figure out how we were going to incorporate it both individually and societally. To figure out how we feel about it. Now, however, because of this ever-increasing rate of acceleration, major changes like these take place almost constantly. So much so that what we thought we understood about the world yesterday is no longer certain today. And what we think we understand about the world today is always now subject to change tomorrow. And, and follow me here, and this pervasive and near constant sense of uncertainty, this near constant experience of disorientation can, if we're not careful, lead us as human beings to some dangerous thoughts and words and behaviors. Such as what, you ask? Such as becoming reactionary. Such as becoming someone who begins to complain about those people, whoever those people might happen to be. Such as becoming increasingly suspicious of those not like us. Such as becoming someone who gravitates toward a group, a team, a tribe in order to make ourselves feel safe and secure. Such near constant disorientation can lead us to suddenly begin glamorizing the past, romanticizing it, to acting as if and even convincing ourselves that things were once more peaceful and simple and righteous than they really were. Such near constant disorientation can lead us to cynicism and pessimism, to belligerence and hostility, to divisiveness and close-mindedness, to dismay and to despair. And I bring all of this up this morning. In fact, I embark on this entire four-week sermon series in order to remind us that as people of faith, now is not the first time we have ever had to deal with change and disruption. Nor is now the first time that we have been called on by God to let go of our cynicism and pessimism and despair amid times of change and disruption. And to simply be faithful to the God who leads and guides us always. Yes, this whole sermon series is meant to be a reminder for us of various episodes in the Judeo-Christian story when that which had heretofore stabilized us and oriented us, again, for good or for ill, was suddenly disrupted by change and of how we found ourselves unmoored and adrift in response. which leads me finally back to where we started with our Israelite forebears grumbling and complaining in the wilderness. Having gotten what they'd wanted and prayed for for generations, 
undergoing now in this moment a change that was undoubtedly a good thing for them, they nonetheless found themselves experiencing that anxiety-inducing sense of rootlessness and disorientation that attends all moments of profound change. And thus, in response, they suddenly found themselves pining for the past, for the familiar, for the known, for the things and the ways of living and being that they fully understood would it not be better for us just to go back? They began to ask. Would it not be better for us to just go back? Well, this sermon series will be an attempt to answer that question, not only for them, but for all of us who stand in the long line of people faithful to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and who often find ourselves asking this same question in the face of change. Yes, this sermon series will be an attempt to answer that question for all of us by saying unequivocally no. No, it would not be better for us just to go back. And even if it would be, which it wouldn't, we can't because life doesn't work that way. Instead, what would be better for us as people of faith would be to attend to the Scriptures and to reaffirm our faith in the living Christ and to trust that the God who brought Israel out of Egypt and who made provision for Israel in the wilderness and who brought Israel into the promised land, and who in the fullness of time raised a crucified carpenter from the dead and named him King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What would be better for us would be to trust that this same God who was faithful to our forebears before us will likewise be faithful unto us leading us and guiding us throughout the various changes and disruptions and feelings of disorientation that we ourselves will undergo in our own lifetimes. Yes, what would be better would be for us to stop our complaining, to stop our grumbling, to stop our othering, Stop our dividing. Stop our despairing. And to accept that change and disruption are part and parcel of what it means to be alive. And to accept that the longer the Lord Jesus tarries with his kingdom, the more and the more frequent change and disruption in our lives will be. And so, in conclusion, let me say this to end sermon number one in this series. It is okay to feel disoriented and adrift right now. In fact, it's impossible not to feel disoriented and adrift right now. Change by necessity brings with it a sense of disorientation and anxiety. And so it's okay to feel this way. 
But it is not okay to respond to changes and disruptions happening around us by grumbling and complaining and by romanticizing a false past and by asking ourselves, in effect, would it not be better for us just to go back? Dear family, the Lord our God is faithful. And just as he did for the Israelites, so does he call us ever forward and ever onward, leading us and guiding us through all manner of changes and disruptions in our lives, bringing us through the desert and into the promised land, bringing us through creation present and into kingdom come. Always has, always will, world without end. And so trusting that, Believing that. Oh, dear family, let our souls therefore be still, knowing that God is God and that we are not. And that because God is God, all manner of ever changing things under heaven shall always be well. And all God's people said, Amen.